this week. Um, just excited about what the Lord has done through his spoken word. Um, I'm just the, the person that he uses, but it is not me. It is um, the Holy Spirit. And it is the authority of the word of God by which we speak. So we're just grateful to be here. Now, I want to recap just a little bit. Over the past few days, we've talked about just the freedom that we have to live to Christ. But we've also talked about how the world misinterprets what freedom is. That has often meant a freedom to oneself, personal autonomy. And we've talked about why that is a devastating reality for many people. And while that kind of freedom doesn't actually lead to freedom, it leads to more imprisonment. We've also talked about how God has provided for us freedom from emotional despair and anxiety and depression that is not found in thinking more of ourselves, that is found in thinking of ourselves less and thinking more about Christ and finding our fulfillment in him. We also looked at how last night in Romans 8 and 1 through 4 that the condemnation that was intended for us has been taken away because we are in Christ. But that is not a general freedom or universal salvation for all people, but only for those of us through the sovereign grace of God who repent and believe the gospel. And today we are completing our time together by looking at knowing that we've been given all this freedom in Christ, how that affects the way we live both vertically to God and how it affects how we live horizontally towards one another. So I pray that we're going to have um, a great time in understanding that this gospel that we say have saved us must also be permeating the lives that we live. It is not just that we have made a profession, but that that life that we have been given in Christ transcends the people around us. As life becomes, as you all know, more and more restrictive and it will only get worse for those of us who are Christians to talk about living freely may be a different reality in just a number of years. There are even freedoms now as Christians that we struggle to have that when I was younger, we didn't have to struggle with those freedoms. But I do want you to be encouraged that even as we live freely, that our freedom and this has been a struggle for me. Our freedom will not come through our political affiliation or any legal ruling. Freedom will only come through Jesus Christ. Because I do believe that as the world impresses more and more on our abilities to be Christians, that we will not look for our politicians to be the source of our freedom. It will be through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And our fulfillment should only come through the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And it is only when the gospel is the reason why we get up out of the bed in the morning, that the gospel is the reason that we have any nice words to say to anybody at all, that the gospel is the reason when we go to work or go to school that we are not doing it simply for ourselves, but we are doing everything that we do to and for the glory of God and God alone. That is what it means to truly live freely. So we want to look at the sanctifying work 
that Jesus Christ performs in our lives through the gospel. And to do that, we're going to look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father God, it is just another opportunity to share in your word. Lord, you have been so faithful over these past few days and just how you have revealed your word to us. So, God, we just pray that as we close today in the word of God, that you will Reveal to us such rich truth and that this word today, God, will have such a tremendous impact on the lives that we live for you. God, we pray that after this sermon, we will see clearly that our lives are to be lived to your glory and not our own. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I told them in the first service this morning, it was true that when I saw that this was the the verse for today that I had just a bit of trepidation about it. And it's not because I don't know First Peter quite well. I know it very well. It's not because I don't understand the Bible is inerrant. I do know that the Bible is inerrant and it perfect in what it says. But I think the struggle for me was that I don't know that any passage of scripture has been trampled over more in the last year than this one. And when I say has been trampled over, I mean on both sides of the street, right? (laughs) On both political affiliated sides, more people have trampled over this passage more than any other passage. And when I say it, I want you to understand that the reason it has been trampled over is not because we have a loyalty to God, but it's because all of us have these little hidden loyalties that go beyond our relationship with God. And there's this interesting thing that happens with the Bible is that it does this thing that kind of annoys us where the Bible comes in when it really takes effect in our lives and it disrupts the places that we're most comfortable It agitates us in the places that we don't want to be agitated. And it reveals to us that we aren't as special, as good, as clean, as nice as we think we are. That if we would only read it, it reveals that we are so dependent on the word of God to get through every single day of our lives. And that if this book does not saturate who we are, we would be left to commit all sorts of atrocities. And again, I would say I don't think in the last year we would say that one verse has seen because it's been ignored by those of us who profess to be Christians. that Those atrocities have been realized. But I also can't think of a more appropriate scripture 
This is the most appropriate scripture for the time that we are living in right now. And so while I had some trepidation, trepidation is gone now. I'm just about to preach. And so I hope that through the word of God that we will find that one, our fulfillment will not come in any other source, any other worldly source other than God. And that when we devote our lives to the inerrant word of God, that we will truly find freedom. So Peter opens up here right out of the gate by admonishing the people who would have been reading this to be subject to every human institution. And I know some of us may read this and think, well, Mr. Peter, easy for you to say be subject to every human institution, but you don't know what we had to endure for the last four years or you don't know what we have to endure for the next four years. So it's easy for you to say, Mr. Peter, subject yourself to every human institution. Some people would even say that over the last four years, we saw wickedness in the personhood of a man. And over the next few years, we're going to see wickedness in the policy of another man. And I would just tell you, wickedness is wickedness is wickedness. And the last thing you ever want to do as a believer is put yourself in a position where you are becoming an apologist for another person's sins. Because somehow by defending that person, you are freeing yourself from the reality of your own sins. But I will submit to everyone who has felt that it is impossible or that it will be impossible to live in a country with wicked leadership, that you should probably understand the full context of why Peter writes what he's writing. And I think to best understand it, we actually have to back up into 1 Peter 1, and I'll just read it. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bith- Bithynia, and then 1 Peter 1 and 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's adding here in 1 Peter a little context. He is reading, he is writing rather to believers who have been exiled, who have been dispersed, and they are being dispersed because there is growing violence towards Christians by the emperor Nero who hated them. Now, I do find it particularly interesting that Peter says that that there is a great need to remind believers that we are to be submissive that we are to subject ourselves to every human institution. This meant that they were to align themselves in a way with the legal system in order to live a humble and submissive life. Now, not only would some of the readers here have felt Peter was out of touch, I think some of our modern day people would say that Peter's been just a little insensitive. That's a catch-all term these days. Here you have people who have fled, 
who have felt the crushing weight of the wicked rule of Nero. And yet Peter has the audacity, the unmitigated gall to say, yeah, but you need to be subjected to him. That you need to be submissive to him, that not only that, but you need to honor the emperor. We need to be subjected. No. They may have certainly felt and been on the cusp of fighting back and maybe staging some sort of rebellion out of their anger and their treatment. But instead of Peter saying, yes, go fight. He says, be subject. He tells them, don't do it. Just so you understand the depth of the wickedness of Nero. It has been said, and my undergrad is in history, so I studied Nero quite a bit in Rome, Roman Empire. And it has been said that he actually not only burned Christians, but at night plastered the Christians that he burned on the wall so that they would give light to the street at nights. I don't know if any of you have gotten to this point in your world history, but at one point Rome was going to burn and the Christians are going to get blamed for it. And it was Nero who did it. So when we understand the depth and the level of this man's wickedness, when you understand what Peter is telling them to do must have felt like a gut punch. But I do believe that Peter is not just speaking on the authority of Scripture, which he is. But I also do think he's speaking from his own experience. Do we remember what happened to Peter when they were about to seize Jesus? In Matthew 26 and 51, it says, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus, that being Peter, we learn in John, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled saying it must be so? So I want us to understand this and I do want us to take quite a bit of time with it. This is why Peter can have the perspective that he has is that there are just many layers of understanding here. But he does at least remember what happened when he tried to fight back. He was rebuked by Jesus. And Jesus tells him that if your life is going to be devoted to fighting back every time there is an offense that comes to you as a Christian, your life will not just be devoted to fighting. It will end by your fighting. That you will absolutely lose perspective on why you are here in the first place. Jesus wants him to understand that if you think that this is how ministry will happen. Then you will spend all your life fighting. Not actually doing the work that I've called you to do. But then there's this other point that Jesus makes, and I think he makes it quite well in John 18 and 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom. Is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. 
that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. You see what's happening here. Jesus says that because we have an eternal residence, we do not have to be bogged down with this world. We are not just subject to this authority, but there is a greater authority that we know will judge our lives at the end of our lives. This world that we so easily get invested in is not just fleeting, it is dying. It is passing away. And this is the other thing that Peter says here, though. He says that our submission to every human institution is not for our sake, it's for the sake of the Lord. It's not for our good, but it's for the glory of God. And that there are going to be times because of our humble and submissive lives that we are going to be made to look like fools so that Jesus Christ will be glorified. And I think the struggle for many of us is that we are too arrogant to look like a fool while there's a bleeding savior on the cross who could have shown who he was. Yet he submitted himself to death. And we want to go comment 60 times on somebody's post because they said something disparaging about us. And call it persecution. Who do we think we are? I know many of us, because we forget sometimes that we are being judged by a higher standard than just this world. If you don't understand, let me put it to you like this. Every night I've been driving back and I've learned one thing about Aniana. All right. I have seen zero police officers. In my time driving. I don't know if they're hidden somewhere. (laughs) But every night, I kind of glance at the speed limit. I kind of look back at the mirror and I think, all right, nobody's going to see me because I'm in Aniana. (laughs) So I could just like hit it right now and like nobody would know. And you be lying if you have never thought when you think nobody else is watching it. You know what? I can kick it up a little bit. But this is the reality. I cannot only live according to the righteousness of God when people are watching. That the judgment that I will face is higher than a speed limit. That I'm subjecting myself to a higher authority than that so that whether or not anybody sees me, I'm not subjecting myself just to this legal system. But there is a higher judge who will render a verdict one day on my life. And that whether people see it or not, they won't have to stand before God on my behalf. I will. The Christian life and the decisions made in it should revolve around that principle. The decisions I make as a believer must all be filtered through my submission to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Everything that happens in the world and in my life no longer requires my narcissistic perspective. The world doesn't work the way I think it works. And if I'm being honest, my relationship with God doesn't work the way I wish it worked. Because if it worked the way I wish it worked, it would be all me and none of him. Except for the part where, you know, he is a substitutionary atonement. But the rest of it, the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ, the way I look less like myself and more like him, I could go without it. Because one of the things I realized, like we learned in Philippians, is that when I start to have the mind that Jesus Christ have had, then when he died on that cross in front of the accusers, when he could have justified himself, he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. Do you know how often I feel the need to justify myself? Do you know how often in the most frivolous arguments I am willing to compromise how people see me as a Christian just to win an argument? And that's simple. Yet Jesus, who had equality with God, he was God, truly God, on a cross, says nothing. Now, how does this understanding affect our ability to live freely? I know you're probably wondering. For the person whose sole devotion in life is just to fight the system of the world, is just to combat every institution and call for justice and social justice at every turn, you'll never find peace. Their hope is far too tied into the equality and the equity of this world. But the term social justice itself is an oxymoron. Emphasis on. Uh All right. To think that for one second that this world, for one iota, would ever be equitable, would ever be equal, would ever have peace, is a farce. And there are many people who profess to be Christians who are devoting their lives to trying to balance the scales of justice in this world, failing to remember that one day the scales of justice will be balanced for every life. And it won't matter the color of that life. Every life will be judged according to the same standard of the word of God. So, no, I will not waste my time on making sure that the scales of justice are balanced for people here. I want to make sure that when those scales are balanced, that he will say to every one of us who believes, well done. That's it. Peter emphasizes the point 
for us well. He says that we are to live quiet, submissive lives in the midst of a world that is contrary to us. That just as Jesus humbling himself to the death of a cross was to the glory of God, that us being quiet and submissive in this life will be to the glory of God and not ourselves. And when he says this, this is an obvious allusion to Jesus. When we live a life that is devoted to a higher standard than just this world, we remove any opportunity that the detractors have regarding our faith. Each time the Pharisees looked for something to accuse Jesus of, he was a perfectly obedient, submissive, law-abiding citizen. They had nothing on him. This is what it means to be subject to every human institution. I said it earlier, listen, I'm as conservative as a guy as you will meet, but I struggle. I struggle that when any time somebody tells me to do something, even if I was already intending to do it, I automatically want to do the opposite. Like that is just my own fallenness. Like I was going to do it anyway, but now I don't want to do it because you just told me I had to do it. And I think we all would probably admit that we struggle with that same fallenness in ourselves. There is a proverbial spotlight that is shined on the life of all of us who profess to be believers. And the worst thing that we could do for a world that is attempting to invalidate that our faith is real is give them the ammunition they need to kill the faith. And the way we would do that is by living in a way that when they point out who we are as Christians, that our life invalidates our profession. If you are a Christian and you think that because you are a Christian, you are the exception to the rule, you are not. If you are a Christian, you should be more obedient. You should have more of a standard. You should have more morality than the world. But it must come not motivated by conservative political beliefs. It must be motivated, motivated by Jesus Christ. That's the reason. We should view ourselves as more responsible and more accountable than the world. That we put our faith on display. And with that in mind, Peter says that we should live as people who are free, but not using our freedom as a cover up for evil. I like that he points this out. Not that we are living out our freedom, but that we live as if we are free. We are free in regards to sin and death for sure. But we most certainly are bound and enslaved to Jesus Christ. So, yes, we live as if we are free, but there should be nothing in us that causes us to take advantage of that freedom. 
Now, Peter here is not mentioning this for no reason. He saw in the Pharisees time and time again that they saw themselves as above the standard. We have seen this with people who believe that because we are free from sin through the atoning death of Jesus, that we can now freely do as we please because those sins have been forgiven. Too many people believe that because they made some profession when they were young, that now they can do whatever they want to do. Peter says, do not do this. And he's echoing Paul when he says, do we know, knowing that grace abounds, do we continue in sin? God forbid. We live as servants of God and we honor everyone. We don't pick and choose. But in this world, we show exemplary care. I want to end with this story about D.L. Moody. And if you don't know who came up, just a, an incredible man, incredible Christian and, and preacher. But this is a story that Woodrow Wilson wrote about him in 1914. And if you don't know, Woodrow Wilson was a president. <laughs> had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself. And sat in the next chair to me. Every word that he uttered, though it acted, showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I attended an evangelistic service because Mr. Moody was in the next chair. I purposely lingered after he left, and I noted the singular effect his visit had upon the barbers in that shop. I left. I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Let me ask you this. Like flailing your hand, convince people that what you believe is true, but that the greatest evidence that you believe it is that you show it in the life that you live. That there is a peacefulness, a calmness, yet a devotion to some standard than yourself that you are clearly living your life to. That people see the life that you live and they glorify their father, which is in heaven because of your good works. So, yes. Father God, we thank you. Um, Lord, you have provided for us such rich truth from the word of God. And Lord, it is obvious that if we would just open our Bibles, if we would just look in them, everything that we need to know about you can be found in Holy Scripture, God. 
Lord, we ask you if we are not in the position that we should be in in our lives, that you would invade our lives, disrupt our lives, God. Irritate us in the places that we are comfortable, God. Agitate us in the areas that we are not devoting to you, Lord. God, in the areas that we are going beyond what scripture has said, that you will put parameters, healthy biblical parameters around our lives and remind us God that we're comfortable but we are living our lives to your glory and Lord you have made it clear you are not sharing your glory And I'll close with this. God, let us be reminded that we will either be glorified in this life or the next life, but it will not be both. It's in Jesus' name.